we are apt at times to be intimidated by our culture. Schools, media, professors, government agencies. If you begin to think about uh, celebrities and all of the Hollywood conundrum, culturally we see humanism and we see liberalism and we see secularism and a whole host of other isms that point a daunting finger at the church with disdain and with a sense of accusation. If you are with me in this this morning, you'll notice and know this, that almost every element of our society will tolerate anything and everything until you claim to become or be a biblical Christian. The world likes to practice censorship when it comes to biblical truth, and that can put us on the defensive. It really can. And, and the bottom line is when that happens, if we're not careful, we either begin to keep our heads down and our mouths shut with intimidation of a corrupt culture, or we rise up and demand our rights and we become obnoxious and self-righteous, and neither of those are biblical options. For you and for me, to be fearfully silent or for us to be forcefully arrogant is not what God has called you and I to be in the midst of the culture in which we live in. And that's why the study of Daniel has been for me so refreshing. Here is an incredible example. Daniel is a great mentor for you and for me in how to navigate this age, how to live our lives. Here's a, a godly man trying to live a godly life in a corrupt culture. From the age of 14, when he was brutally kidnapped and taken away from his home in Jerusalem and taken to Babylon and then forced through this process of indoctrination by the world all the way to his death in his 90s, we see a man who lived with courage and with conviction. We see a man who made a difference. He, he is a life that counted for God. He had incredible spiritual insight and wisdom and that led to influence. Folks, I really want you to focus in with me this morning because as we look at Daniel chapter 6 together, if we pay attention, we can learn a great deal. We can learn a lot about life. We can learn a lot about God. We can learn a lot about faith. But most importantly, we can learn about the sovereign nature of our God and the relationship that we can have under His control. I put it in your notes, I'll kind of summarize this. The story of Daniel in the lion's den has been across the ages equated with Aesop's fables or a fairy tale. It's this fanciful story that seems larger than life. But as we said last week, chapter 6 of Daniel is not about Daniel in the lion's den. It's about why he was put there. And this story does have an incredible depth of reality for Christians. And it carries a message for everyone here today. What is that message, Pastor? Let me just nail this down if I can, as, as pointedly as I can. Our sovereign God controls world events. Amen? That's a good place to punctuate. You and I need to stop there and say, that's true. Some of us don't live like it's true. Some of us don't uh, social media like it's true. But our sovereign God is in control. And he judges and he protects individuals and world empires until he establishes his ultimate, final, and perfect kingdom. And here's how I would end that statement. You can trust him. 
You can trust God. Right off the bat, I want to make sure you hear this because we need to lay foundation for everything else we're going to say. I want to write this on. uh, I want you to write it in your notes. I want to put it on the screen. Trusting God brings consistent faith. Trusting God brings consistent faith. And what I mean by that is the more that I trust Him, the more that I learn I can trust Him. And it gives to me a solid foundation, a base from which to filter everything that comes my way. I mean, just in the nick of time, when we didn't think that that 2020 could do anything else to us, we have had murder hornets and we have had a pandemic. We have had heat waves and droughts and fires. Why don't we throw a couple of hurricanes into the mix? I mean, why not? Just bring them on. We've had Saharan dust. And you go, I just want to reset this year. But you and I are called to live in consistent faith through whatever comes our way. And Daniel begins to show us that. I believe this is God's challenge to every single person that's here today. You're not here today by accident. God is calling you to live faithfully. He wants you to have a faith that's unwavering. He wants you to have a faith that establishes the patterns of your life. He wants you to have a faith that literally comes to the place of guiding every decision that you make. It undergirds all that you do and it steadies you and keeps you secure. And I want to call on each and every one of you today to do this, to trust God and to live out that faith before a watching world. Now listen, we don't have to shout and scream to do that. We don't have to make fools of ourselves to do that. But like this man of God, we do have to live out a consistent life. And when we do, people will take notice. They'll see it. It is absolutely true. We live in a world of secularism. The church has been marginalized and pushed aside. And some of you of older generations would say, you've seen it over the past 50 years. I mean, we, we have gone from the days of Ozzy and Harriet and Leave it to Beaver to the Walking Dead. Now, I'm not taking shots at a new generation because you need to recognize just because you say, boy, I wish things were like they used to be. They used to be bad and sinful too. We are not the first generation to face corruption. We are not the only generation that has faced all kinds of issues of corrupt society. In fact, there are only two people in all of history who lived in a a society that was not fallen. Adam and Eve. And they didn't stay there long. Why? Because they messed the whole deal up. Well, here's the thing. Your childhood was not immune from corruption and evil. Your childhood was not at all in a place where it was better. All of the Bible characters lived in the midst of corrupt and evil societies. Why do you say all this, Pastor? Well, I want you to see that we live in a day and in an age that is very similar to the the place where we see Daniel writing and living from. By the sixth chapter, let's just go back and let me remind you of where we've been so that you can pick up with us. By the sixth chapter of Daniel, Daniel has been out of the political scene for several years. The Babylonians are defeated by the Medo-Persians and Daniel's been pushed aside. But the Medo-Persian king summons Daniel to come and he gives him a prestigious 
political position. He places him over the realm of all that is Medo-Persia. There are 120 different uh, ambassadors, if you will, satraps that are put all throughout Medo-Persia and three presidents. And Daniel is one of the three. And Daniel was a man of integrity and Daniel was cutting out their corruption. He would not let the king suffer any harm is what the text last week said. And because of that, it didn't earn him any points. He's a foreigner. He is elevated above all of the other 120 and the other two. And they hated him for it. His integrity cost them money. His integrity cost them gain. And because of that, they determined that they wanted to get rid of him. He was persecuted by his enemies. They were jealous and envious and they hated him. He was a foreigner and they wanted him gone. They set their minds to bring Daniel down. And so they began to search through his life, every decision that he had made, all of the business dealings. Now, lean in for a second. I know this is going to be a stretch for you. I mean, we live in a far more sophisticated day and age, but they were going to try to dig up dirt that would disqualify Daniel from office. I know some of you are shocked that that kind of thing would happen. I mean, in our political climate, we would never hear of that. They scrutinized every single move. They hated him and they set out to destroy him. By the way, if you're going to live out a life of consistent faith, you're going to face opposition too. It is not lost on me that we continually need to go back to this because there are so many people that think God wants us to live blessed and highly favored lives. And, and the scripture does say that we can live blessed and highly favored lives, but it doesn't mean what most people want it to mean. Jesus said this in John 15. I'll put it on the screen. You may want to jot this down. John 15, 18 and 19. Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember or keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, and this is why the world hates you. The world doesn't hate you because of you. They hate you if you're standing out for Christ. They hate you because of what you stand for. And that was true of Daniel. It was his integrity. So we pick up in, in verse 5, and it says, So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusation of Daniel will be in connection of the rules of his religion. The Bible is so contemporary. Their jealousy led to hatred. Their hatred led to scheming. They did not want Daniel to succeed because they wanted to succeed. And that is the life in which we find ourselves. So many people are clamoring to get to the top and stepping on and over whoever they can. And they said, we'll trap him here. We'll trap him with his religion. We'll trap him with his laws. And so here's what they did. They encouraged the king to play God for a month. They said for a month, don't let anybody pray to anybody else but you. He liked the sound of that. And he signed an irrevocable decree. Knowing that Daniel would pray, they trapped him. So the trap has sprung. And the king is trapped. And Daniel is trapped. When Daniel signed the decree, look with me, if you will, at verse 10. We're still kind of in background mode. This is a powerful verse for us today. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual. In his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem, he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. 
Let me say this about what Daniel did because it's the exact same thing that you and I need to do. We fight with our natural eyes what we see by faith. Let me say it this way. We'll put it on the screen. We always fight with faith the things that our natural eye see. When you see things in your natural world and your very first reaction is to shriek back or to be anxious or to freak out, we have to fight that by faith. And we fight that by faith because of what I want to put on the screen next. We see the impossibilities, but we know His ability. We see impossibilities, but we know His ability. Daniel's not a stupid man. He's already lived through one world empire with the Babylonians. He knew the law of the Medes and the Persians. They believed that if a king of Medo-Persia wrote a decree, he was infallible and he could not make a mistake. So if he wrote it, he meant it and it had to be done. He knew that this was a death sentence. And by the way, in Medo-Persia, they carried out the sentence the same day of the charges. We'll see that in a moment, that the king worked all day long into the night as the sun was setting. He was trying to undo what he had done, but he couldn't do it. You and I see impossible situations, but we need to put our spiritual eyes by faith on the abilities of our great God. And that's what Daniel did. I love the fact that he just moved forward. My question to you is, do you really trust God? Be honest. Do you trust God? Or when you come against difficulty, do you take things into your own, you think I'm going to say hands, but do you take things into your own mind? I need to figure this out. I need to work this out. I need to, to, to manipulate the situation or network better or try to figure out some way to get through this problem. Or do you take things into your own hands? You need to bring your situation to God. You need to simply talk it through with Him. What am I meaning by that? You need to pray. You see, Daniel is a very clear marker for us that consistent faith is marked by prayer under pressure. Consistent faith is marked by prayer under pressure. When trouble is looming, Daniel prayed. Verse 10 is so vital. It, we, we're going to say a lot about prayer in the days to come. We've got our prayer emphasis next weekend. We've got a focus on prayer at home for the next three months. We're going to talk about being a house of prayer. We're going to invest a lot of time on what it means to pray. But for this morning, I thought this was incredibly timely that God would bring us to this text we planned out long ago, but he would bring us to this text today because I think some people here today need to understand some things about prayer. What can we learn from Daniel in this prayer? Well, a couple of thoughts that come to mind. He didn't do anything different. He didn't become obnoxious. He didn't fret or fear. He didn't he just prayed under pressure. I've heard preachers preach this and say, Daniel heard the decree and he flung his windows open and he prayed louder. He was like, I'll show that king. That's not the posture of Daniel's prayer at all. No, he was faithful and he was fearless without the regards of the consequence. Why? Because he had consistent faith. Think about it. He was consistent in his professional life. That's why they couldn't find anything wrong. He was consistent in his personal life. We see that he had disciplined practices. He went back and prayed just as he had been doing. And he was very consistent in his prayer life. That was something that marked Daniel. You know, I have a friend who pastors a very large church in East Tennessee. And I'm struck with this. Every time I see it, 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 it just intrigues me. 
Every time the pastor calls their church to pray in a service, doesn't matter if it's at the beginning, for the offering, at the end, anytime the men in the church hit their knees. Every man in the church goes to their knees. Many of them come to the altar, even for the offertory prayer. It's not scripted. It's not contrived. It's not legalistic. They have just developed this sense because they've seen God answer prayer that we are going to continually go to God in that manner. Let me, let me just say it this way to you. Prayer is nothing more, nothing less than dependence on God. You, you realize that you pray better when you're in trouble, do you not? I know you folks. You'll, you'll pray lengthy King James prayers when you're sitting in here. But when you get in trouble, you say, oh God, help. We all do. Nobody has to remind you to pray when pressure's coming. Nobody has to encourage you how or what to pray. No, you just begin to pray. The heart of prayer is on its knees. Prayer is nothing more, nothing less than dependence on God. You ought to write that down somewhere. Prayer is dependence on God. So how God-dependent are you, college students? Are you moving into this semester and you got everything you need? you got a cute dorm room fixed up and you've got a nice supply of matching masks for the craziness of the condition that's going on today? Do you need God this week for your classes and your social schedule? We need to come to the place of utter and deep dependence. You see, this idea of, of kneeling is so powerful. I've thought about putting prayer benches in our church, kneeling benches all around on the pew. I know it's a Baptist church, but it would do some of us some good to get down on our knees before a holy God. Maybe we're in the mess that we're in because we've not done enough of that. We see in Daniel's praying a couple of things. One, humility. We see humility in the prayer of Daniel. I want you to see also as, as he's kneeling down, there's no ordered mandate for the posture of prayer. You can pray standing up, kneeling down, looking up, looking down. You can pray lying down, eyes closed, or looking toward heaven. But kneeling somehow demonstrates for me a sense of humble reverence before God. There's just something about getting on your knees and praying. Daniel's prayer also shows us a picture of faith. Open windows toward Jerusalem. Pastor, what does that have to do with anything? Jerusalem was war-torn and broken down. God had promised through uh, Nehemiah and Jeremiah, we see all kinds of prophetic promises that they were going to be in exile for 70 years. And, and there was a, a great sense in the heart of every faithful and devoted Torah-observant Jew that one day we'll return there. One day we'll go back and we'll worship Jehovah there in Jerusalem. We'll be in the city of God. We'll be on the mountain of Zion. We will go to the temple and worship. And when he opened his windows before the Lord toward Jerusalem, he was praying in faith that God is able. For you and for me, we need to begin to see that our sovereign God is able and you can trust him. We also see in Daniel's praying a prayer of gratitude. This is going to be important for somebody here today. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, look at verse 10 again. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room, windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. You may want to underline that. Giving thanks to his God. Daniel prayed a prayer of thanksgiving. He is on death row. He has been sentenced to die by lions. He's in a crisis. He doesn't just come to God asking for help. He thanks God. It's a reminder that no matter how things 
may look, no matter how bad they may look, you have much to thank God for. It doesn't matter how heavy the load or how dark the horizon. I wrote this down in my notes just last night. It doesn't matter how many hurricanes are in the Gulf or how many pandemics are on the horizon. And if there's a Saharan dust storm or murder hornets or racial or civil unrest or division. What I'm saying is in the midst of a crazy, crazy year like 2020, you still have much to thank God for. That'd be a great place for an amen. Daniel didn't wait till he got out of the lion's den to thank God. Daniel is right in the middle of a crisis. Trouble is all around him. Fascinating to me. Some of us would do well to do the same. You know what we do when God doesn't act the way that we expect? We throw temper tantrums. He's been sentenced to die and he goes and he thanks God. Pastor H.B. Charles tells a great story. His father was a pastor, and he said growing up as a little boy, we had an old deacon that would pray. And he said every time he prayed, he always started his prayer this way. God, we got lots to ask you for today. But before we do, we want to thank you that things are as, go as good as they are. And, and H.B. Charles said, I was a boy and I didn't understand then what I know now. I've got a few more miles on me now. I understood that no matter how bad things look on the outside, we've got it good. If you know Jesus, you've got it good. If you know Jesus, you're in the hand of a sovereign God. If you know Jesus, then the pandemic is not going to ultimately do anything to disrupt God on His throne. And the Bible is very, very clear for you and for me. This, that prayer is God's prescription for a fallen world. Prayer is God's prescription. God says when you're in trouble, pray. When you're anxious or nervous, pray. When you're grateful, pray. When you are, are looking for hope or help or answers, pray. And this isn't new news. Why is it, though, that we have not taken up the mantle of prayer? I'll tell you why. Glad you asked that question. We are not dependent on God. We have a very, very self-righteous independence. I, I've told you this before, and maybe it doesn't mark you like, like it marks me, but I've used this illustration on myself over and over again sitting at red lights along Hardy Street. Take in a great big deep breath right now. Everybody. God allowed you to do that. Blow it out. God's in control of every single breath. And when you begin to get to the place where you think you're independent, when you get to the place where you think somehow that you can do it on your own, and you just say, you know what, God, I don't need you. Why don't you just stop breathing his air? That'll show him. I mean, just go ahead and get a big, deep one and hold it. I'm going to show God. How foolish. We are utterly dependent on God for our very life. And if we would be dependent on him and recognize that prayer is the prescription, well, how does that move forward for us today? That's my introduction. Let's get to the point. I want to give you three marks of consistent faith. Number one, a consistent faith will be tested. A consistent faith will be tested. You need to know that the Christian life marks us out for the lions. You and I are out of step with the world. 
Write that down. We are out of step with the world. You need to know that we are not in sync with the world system around us. And that's okay. God said it was to be that way. God did not prevent Daniel from going to the lion's den. But he protected him in the lion's den. And some of you and some of us want to be protected from everything. God just keep me safe and happy and whole and healthy. I don't want the big bad virus and I don't want the big bad job problem and I don't want the big bad whatever else. God, just protect me and mine. And that's evident in the way that we present prayer requests. It's evident in the way that we bring prayer requests before God. I've got a medical test on Tuesday. Okay, what's the prayer request? That's a statement. I've told you this before in my very first church. I'm a little bit more tempered now than I used to be. I mean, I I think I've mellowed a little bit in my aged condition. Um, There, there, believe it or not, is some gray up here somewhere if it were to, to show up. But I had a lady that said my sister had a wreck on Friday as a prayer request. And that's not a prayer request. And I told her that. I said, that's a statement where we pray and that God would use this to take her home to glory. She thought I'd lost my mind. She was like, no, I want her to get better. Okay, well, we'll pray that. And then later on, that woman got cancer. And she said, I've got cancer. I said, what do you want me to pray? That God would use this for his glory and that he would. So, no, I want to get better. I said, so you want me to begin to pray that everybody that we know and love will live forever. Well, and she was mad at me. And I said, you know what? I do pray that everybody I know would live forever. And the only way that that's possible is if they trust the Lord Jesus Christ and place their faith in Him for eternal salvation. And if and when they do, they can live forever because He gives eternal life. Folks, we need to think about what we're praying and how we're praying. We need to consider this manner of Daniel. We are out of step with the world. And sometimes we read a story like Daniel in the lion's den. And as we do, we get the idea that it's God's purpose and plan to deliver his children in some miraculous way. And sometimes he chooses not to. And when he does, what do you do with that? The same Bible that reminds us that Daniel was delivered from the lion's den also reminds us that Isaiah believed God and was sawn in half. The same Bible reminds us that Paul, who loved and believed God, was decapitated. We we get the same clear picture that Peter, who loved God and lived for Jesus, was crucified upside down. It doesn't always end this side of eternity the way that we would expect it, but are we willing to believe God? See this, believing God does not necessarily guarantee that you'll not be eaten by lions. What it does, it, it gives us insight beyond our eyesight. It gives us insight beyond our eyesight. Trusting God will give you a long-term perspective and it'll help you remain consistent even in the face of difficulty. Do you realize that your suffering may be a part of your calling in Christ Jesus? That's something we don't want to come to grips with. We don't want to come to terms with. I heard a a missionary share that statement not long ago with a group of missionaries. He he just said, we we quit when the heat turns up. We we get to a point. So God wouldn't want me to do that. And so I'm going to move somewhere else. And I see pastors, when the the heat turns on, they say, well, God's calling me somewhere else. It may be that God's calling you to put your nose to the grindstone and put your hand to the plow and stick with it. And in the middle of what you're going through, God will use the suffering that comes your way to glorify himself and to purify you and to change the circumstance in the situation. 
The moment that you decide that you're going to stand up for Christ is the moment that you'll be tested more. Here's a man who put his trust in God. Being bold doesn't mean that you'll become more popular. It means that you'll become a target. You'll be tested. And the key to Daniel's consistent faith was not in religious ritual, not just going to church, so to speak, or just reading the Bible. It was a personal relationship with God. You've got to get out of the empty religious rut and move beyond the empty offerings. I I pray that today's sermon and, and the study of Daniel would be a reminder that some of us need to just crawl back into the lap of Abba Father. We need to crawl into the arms of God and say, God, I'm overwhelmed. I'm not sure what's happening or why it's happening. I don't like it, but I trust you and I thank you. Does that make sense this morning? Hello? Daniel had a boldness about him. He was fearless in the face of danger. Consistent faith will be tested. Number two, consistent faith will testify. Sometimes the testimony of faith under trial is louder than a testimony of words. Daniel's testimony was to his enemies. Those men were disturbed by his faith. They knew he possessed something they didn't have. And as the world watches a believer walk through the lion's den, they begin to see faith at work. Write this down, 2 Corinthians 3, 2. 2 Corinthians 3, 2. The Bible says that we as Christians are living epistles. Literally, you're a letter written from God to a watching world. The world's reading your mail and you are that mail. Don't think for a minute, church. Don't think for a minute that they don't see your peace and your actions that you're receiving from the Lord. Don't think that they don't see a confidence and a calm assurance if you're living that way. And by the converse, don't think that they don't see your social media posts. Don't think that they don't see your attitude, your action, your heart. If we're fearlessly silent or if we're aggressively arrogant, both of those are wrong. But when we're faith-filled, the world will see it. And they'll take note of it. Look at verse 14. We're skipping from 10 to 14. Basically, they came in and said, you sign the law, he's got to die. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. I I, I thought that was interesting. As I read, hearing this, the king was deeply distressed. I, I thought maybe a different direction. He was distressed because they would not let him change what he had written. He was distressed about the circumstance. He was distressed because he'd been trapped. No, he was distressed because of Daniel. He admired Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of the predicament. He worked from morning till that night. He knew that he would have to carry out the death sentence. Verse 15. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law signed by the king can change. So at last, the king gave orders to Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said, May your God, whom you serve faithfully, rescue you. I want you to know that there's one in heaven to whom the law of the Medes and the Persians does not hold account. There's a sovereign God. One writer wrote this story. You know the story, but let's just walk into this for a minute. I love this. Permit me, if you will, to read a moment. 
As the guards closed the aperture and went their way, Daniel slid gradually to the floor of the den. The big lions that had come bounding from their caverns at the inflow of light all stopped suddenly short as a steed reined in by a powerful hand on the bridle. The initial roars died as they formed into a solid phalanx and looked toward the man who stood in their den with easy reach. There was some snorting and loud whining, and some of them turned around and went back to their caverns. Others of the beast yawned and laid down on the floor, but no one made a move toward their visitor. Thanks be to Jehovah, breathed the prophet. He has stopped the mouths of these fierce beasts, and they will do me no harm. And he sat down on the floor and leaned back against the wall to make himself comfortable for the night. Little imagination here. Soon two lion cubs moved in his direction, not stealthily or crouching as if to make an attack, but obviously in friendliness as one lay on each side of Daniel, as if to give him warmth and protection in the chilly dungeon. Presently their mother, an old lioness, crept over and lay in front of the prophet. He gently stroked their backs as each turned their heads and licked his hand. Enclosed by the lioness and her two cubs, the head of the patriarch was gradually pillowed on the back of one of these cubs as the four slept soundly in perfect peace and in tranquility. And meanwhile, back at the palace, the king couldn't sleep. The expression of the lion's face fiercely, uh, excuse me, it was a mixture of perplexity and awe. Their fierceness here a meal stands before them, and yet they're somehow restrained from attacking, as if an invisible hand was keeping them from moving toward Daniel. If you've ever seen a picture of Daniel in the lion's den with he's got his hands behind his back, and, and he is just in peaceful contemplation, looking at two or three lions, I think we've missed it. You see, in just a couple verses down, it says that once God used Daniel's rescue to change the heart of the king. The king took all of those that had conspired against Daniel and threw them in the lion's den. And it says that they devoured them all before they hit the floor. Now, my little sanctified imagination runs wild. Let's just say it was just the two presidents that came in. But the Bible had said that a bunch of them came running into the presence of the king. But if it was just two and their children and their wives were all thrown in, there were at least six to ten people. And six to ten people were devoured before they hit the floor. Let's just say it was all of the presidents. What if it was 120 of the satraps as well as these two? Now we're talking three, four hundred people and they were all swallowed up. I have heard people say, well, maybe the lions weren't hungry that day. Maybe the lions had been overfed. Well, just after Daniel is released, they gobble up every single one of these that are there. Charles Spurgeon said something great. He said, it's a good thing that the lions did not try to eat Daniel because they would not have liked it. Daniel was made of half grit and half backbone. I like that. They didn't touch him because the hand of God restrained them. You see, your testimony of faith, consistent faith, will be evident. Your faith will be tested, but it will be a testimony. Ultimately, I want you to see very simply this. Consistent faith will triumph. It may not triumph this side of eternity. It may be that you find yourself in a place of difficulty. You, you may go to the ends of the earth. You, you will find as we begin to talk over the coming weeks about the missionary journeys of Paul and some of our studies on Wednesday night, you'll see that people have faced deep persecution, but it's worth it. And you and I need to become people of consistent faith because Jehovah, the great lion tamer, is on our side.
It's fascinating to me that Darius put Daniel in the lion's den and Daniel went to sleep like a lamb. And Darius couldn't sleep a wink. He went back to the palace. The lion, somebody said this, the lions wanted to eat but couldn't and the king could eat but wouldn't. It says that they brought music before him. Literally, the picture is there in Daniel 6. They probably brought some women dancers in front of the king. They were trying to get his mind off of it. They were trying to entertain him. He wanted to do nothing to do with food or frivolity. He was burdened. It says that he was longing to to get to the next morning to see how Daniel was. And if you will, look back with me at the text for just a moment. And let's pick up in the story and we'll wrap this up. I just want you to see together with this. Verse 19, very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out, how? In anguish. Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you served so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they could not hurt me or would not. For I have been found innocent in his sight and I have not wronged you, O majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. And the lions leaped upon them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. What a powerful picture. The purpose of testing. God will use it to glorify himself and to purify us. God wants to purify Hardy Street Baptist Church. It may mean that we go through some trials to get there. And the only way that we'll even have opposition is if we're standing up on the side of right. And the best way to stand up for the side of right is on our knees. Maybe, just maybe, it's time for us to live that way. A Sunday school teacher asked her class, why wasn't Daniel afraid in the lion's den? I got to restrain myself just from when I read it. A little girl spoke up and she said, because the lion of the tribe of Judah was in there with him. That made me want to shout. Our God is an awesome and powerful God. He is sovereign over the nations. He is sovereign over our homes. He is sovereign over this church. And His desire is that we would willingly submit ourselves to His sovereignty. And He would use us greatly for His glory and for our purity. So that you and I might make an impact and an influence on a lost and dying world. Oh, that we would begin to be people who pray under pressure. We don't need to pander. We don't need to play. We don't need to complain. We need to pray. Seeking first the Lord in prayer. And we'll begin to see an awakening like we've never experienced before. I believe with all of my heart that God has a plan and a purpose for the state of Mississippi. As as backward as we've been seen by the world in so many ways, as insignificant and off the radar, I believe that God is going to spark a revival in our state. I really do. Because this has been a state where Jesus has been held close. It, it, It Yes, there's a lot wrong with our state. 
But, but there is somewhere in the heart of it a sense of, of benevolence that comes from God. You realize that as one of the poorest states, we're also one of the highest giving states. And what does that have to do with anything? Wouldn't it be just like God that he would take some insignificant out of the way place and he would use that for his glory so none of us get the credit. None of us get the glory that he alone would. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that. I put in your, I may have put in your notes, but I put it here. We may not be asked to face a den of lions, but God is asking all of us to live honestly before a watching world, unashamed to give testimony to our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the call. Consistent faith will be tested. Consistent faith will give testimony. And when you live out consistent faith, it'll triumph. It may not be the side of glory, but we win in the end. I've read the end of the book. How about you? Here's what I want to do, church. Everybody look this way. For the last several weeks, we've made almost apology in some ways that we're not giving invitations and I'm never about stirring emotions and trying to manipulate movement and those kind of things. But I'm going to ask you this morning if you would be willing to either pray right where you are or come to this altar. We're going to have musicians that are just going to play softly and as they pray, as they play, I want you to pray. You can pray right where you are, that's fine. But maybe you need to draw a line in the sand and you need to say, God, I have been concerned with outcome, not omnipotence. I've been worried about how we'll get through this, not who will walk through this with me. And an omnipotent God walks through us no matter the outcome. So I'm going to challenge and call our church to the altar. Today is a day to pray. Maybe today you need to be saved. Maybe today you need to recognize exactly what these scriptures have said. That because Daniel trusted the Lord, the Lord was with Daniel. And God's not been with you. You felt like he was in a galaxy far, far away. You can know him in a personal, intimate way. And you start that relationship by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll have our encouragers, our, our simple prayer partner ministry here. We've got several that will just be here standing. And if you need to talk to somebody about starting a relationship with Jesus, you come. I, I'm going to pray. They're going to play, and then you let God have his way. I didn't mean to rhyme that. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for calling your people to consistent faith. Thank you for an example of consistent faith. And God, even now, thank you for obedience as your people cry out to you. Lord, we don't want a, a show of movement for any other reason but that people sincerely are hungry for God to move.